This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, Tradewinds U.S. Bureau Chief, and today we're going to be talking about putting a price on shipping's carbon emissions. Before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our upcoming Green Seas Fuel Forum. On March 9th, that's Thursday, we'll be taking the stage in New York with ship owners, charters, financiers, tech experts, NGOs, and more to talk about alternative fuels in shipping. Sign up to join us at tradewinds.events. As shipping faces pressure to tackle its greenhouse gas emissions, a key challenge is how expensive alternative fuels are and how cheap the fossil fuels are that have powered vessels for more than a century. That's why many want to see the International Maritime Organization, or IMO, the global shipping regulator, slap a price on shipping's greenhouse gas emissions. And delegations from many nations and groups at the UN body are gravitating toward doing so in the form of a levy, basically a tax on carbon emitted from ships. And one such delegation is shipping's key industry group. The International Chamber of Shipping, or ICS, is pushing the IMO to narrow down its choices for a carbon levy at an important committee meeting in July, and then adopt a plan next year. In today's episode, we'll explore how the ICS proposes to put a price on greenhouse gas emissions, and why it wants the IMO to move so fast. The idea behind a carbon levy is simple. Tax greenhouse gas emissions to help close the gap between fossil fuels and expensive low-carbon fuels. But it's not as easy as it sounds. Many countries are concerned that by hiking the cost of shipping, their economies will be disproportionately impacted. Simon Bennett, the ICS's Deputy Secretary General, told me that his organization has recognized for some time that a carbon pricing mechanism is inevitable amid the pressure for shipping to tackle its greenhouse gas emissions. But with the price of green fuels like hydrogen and ammonia costing two to three times conventional shipping fuels, the cost of a levy that closes that gap would be high, and putting that price on carbon would not be acceptable to some governments. But the ICS sees a more palatable solution. We realize that actually in the first few years of implementation, only a relatively small proportion of the world fleet is going to be transitioning to new fuels. So if we have a a carbon levy that raises funds by targeting those funds on providing rewards to ships which use these new fuels, that, that's a means of having a, a, a price on carbon, but we can keep the quantum of that price relatively low in order to make it politically acceptable. What he's describing is the ICS's fund and reward proposal. Shipping companies would pay a price per ton of carbon that would narrow, but not eliminate the price gap. That money would go to an IMO fund and then would be spent on rewarding shipping companies that adopt greener fuels. The shipping group has not proposed a price, but it said that if the price is set at $50 per ton of carbon, which equates to about $150 per ton of bunker fuel, it could raise $10 billion per year to help incentivize green fuel adoption. That, in addition to addressing what Bennett called the legitimate concerns of some countries about a high carbon tax, would still contribute to the main goal of incentivizing ships to use green fuels and energy companies to produce them. NICS wants the IMO to move quickly, proposing adoption of the plan in 2024. Bennett acknowledged that that is an ambitious timeline for an IMO that's not known for moving fast. But nevertheless, we think it's of the utmost importance that an economic measure is adopted as soon as possible. One reason for that is that the IMO is expected in July to adopt a net zero or zero carbon target for shipping to reach by 2050. 
So if we're going to be serious about actually delivering such an ambitious goal, then we have to start work on the the uptake of these new fuels as soon as possible. So if we can get a measure in place in the next couple of years, our goal would be, say, by the year 2030, for about 5% of the energy used by international shipping um, to be generated by alternative fuels. And then that will then provide us with the kickstart we need for the far more accelerated transition that will then need to take place between 2030 and 2050, if we are indeed to be in touching distance of net zero. But there's another key reason for the ICS's timeline. The European Union has a plan of its own. Shipping will enter its emission trading system in 2024 and will have to start paying carbon allowances in 2025. Apart from that, and and the hope that we can have some kind of global uniformity um, between the IMO system and the EU system, we are very worried that in the absence of progress on an economic measure at IMO, we will see the proliferation of other national um, carbon pricing systems being applied to international shipping. And that will result with absolute chaos if um, many, many other countries around the world start applying such systems. There are other proposals in the works that aim for higher prices, including one led by the Marshall Islands, calling for $100 per tonne of carbon. But University of Oslo law professor Eric Roseg recently told our sister publication Hydrogen Insight that the ICS proposal is the best decarbonization plan he's seen in the IMO debate. I gave him a call to ask why. He told me that what is most important in pushing shipping to reduce emissions is to establish the right incentives. But many of the plans on the table are complicated. So the good thing about the ICS proposal is simply that they say, well, there is a should be a flat rate for emissions, uh, and the, the, those money should not be paid to governments but to a separate fund, and that fund should use the money uh, for the benefit of those ship owners who would use, for example, alternative fuels. So it's a levy that doesn't raise money for fiscal purposes, but it does help level the playing field. But surely the IMO is not accustomed to collecting taxes and administering such funds. Not so, Rosick said. The IMO's International Oil Pollution Compensation Funds have been collecting money for spills since the first one was set up in 1971. But is $50 per ton, or even $100 per ton, enough to push shipping in the right direction? This is Madam McLean, Secretary General at the Zero Emissions Ship Technology Association, or Zestas. The group is made up of equipment manufacturers that make technologies like batteries, wind, and green hydrogen that have no greenhouse gas emissions when used on a ship. For it to have any real impact, and there's been a number of studies done on this, it needs to be over um, uh, $200 um, US. It needs to be bigger than that. And I don't think anybody's bringing in anything uh, of that size. She said that anything below $200 per ton of carbon is within the normal fluctuations in fossil fuel prices. The price of those fuels go up and down and it doesn't stop operators from paying the price and it doesn't stop ships from shipping. Hard to say this, but it's gotta hurt. But McLean said the impact on countries is important to consider because it has to hurt in the right places and not in the wrong places. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. 
The Green Seas newsletter talked to Maria Bertzaletu, the market analyst at the Signal Group, a Greek company with a commercial ship management division and the Signal Ocean digital technology platform. And she explained how the firm's estimate of carbon emissions from the world's tanker and dry bulk fleets has waxed and waned with the two sectors' commercial prospects. In a tougher market, bulkers are slowing down, leading to lower emissions. But tankers are speeding up with rising spot rates, meaning their decline so far this year is at a lower pace. Sign up for the newsletter at tinyurl.com slash greenseas. Tradewinds has published a special report putting the spotlight on shipping companies at the forefront of green shipping technologies and fuels. The Green Seas First Movers business focus profiles shipowners, charterers, and operators who are early adopters across 16 key areas. Read about it at tradewindsnews.com. My colleague Ian Lewis reports that for the first time, the share of container ships being built to use alternative fuels is above 40% of the order book. Vessels that can use liquefied natural gas as a fuel now make up 30% of all box ships on order, while 12% are vessels that can run on methanol. Music for this episode is by Roman Senek Music from Pixabay. <laughs>